its pockets. Very important things. It's good to be here this morning. It's good to be in the house of God. It's good to worship. It's good to be with people I know a little. Some I know a little more. And yes, I was up at four o'clock this morning. I wasn't preparing this message at four o'clock this morning. Um, I was doing something completely different. But uh, you'll know that um, if I become extremely animated this morning, you know God's got the ball and he's running with it because uh, there's not too many hours between when I went to sleep this morning and when I got up again. So uh, we'll see what God does. I, for the last 20 years or so, 20 odd years, I've had this habit that um, uh, it's a discipline really where I uh, read through this whole book from beginning to end each year and uh, you know I, I don't count the you know reading of it I do to prepare to preach or study or or teach or whatever it's just you know my my devotions and I discovered early on that if you average about three and a half chapters a day you will you'll get through this whole thing in a year that's just for anyone who's interested. And for me, that discipline actually has been a, a tremendous blessing. Um, pretty early on in the, in the thing, in fact, fairly early on each year, I come across a particular book um, called Leviticus. Mind you, some years I do read quite a bit in December to, to get through, but uh, usually Leviticus comes up fairly early in the year. And the first few times I, I came to Leviticus... I found it really hard going. <laughs> it was pretty dry and it, the question I kept asking was, what on earth has this got to do with me, frankly? I, there's, there's stuff about fellowship offerings and sin offerings and grain offerings and then there's oh, the ordination of Aaron and his sons and there's a whole lot of uh, laws about how the, the people of Israel were to live in their community and you know, I, I read through it because I made a commitment. I was going to do it. Um, it's amazing what commitments can do for you, by the way. You decide you're going to do it and, uh, yeah, I'm going to do it, you know, because I'm not quite sure what I, I see the point at the moment, but I committed I was going to do this. So, you know, I'd, I'd plough on through. And somewhere over the last 20-odd years that I've been doing this, the book of Leviticus has taken on quite a different image for me oh by the way who has studied Leviticus carefully just lately uh, okay so who, who knows what's in the book of Leviticus I, I told you some of the stuff that's in the book of Leviticus if you've got a short-term memory you should be able to put your hand up there um, who knows where Leviticus is in the Bible Ah, oh, I, I like to see more hands. That's good. There were still some hands missing, which is a bit of a worry. See, there's my Bible, and I'm open at the beginning of Leviticus. Okay, it's right near the beginning. You've got Genesis, Exodus, and then Leviticus. And it always used to be a bit of a... You know, as you come down the freeway, as you're going into town, you've got those um, lanes off to the side full of gravel, little stop trucks that supposedly, that, you know... Have, have problems with their brakes. You know, getting through, I got to Leviticus and it was always like I'd hit one of those, you know. It's like, oh, this is difficult stuff. What am, I, what am I doing this for? And yet, there is so much in this book 
There is just so much in this book. Not only is there so much in there from a historical perspective and all that stuff, there's so much in there that is relevant to me. You don't sound convinced. Well, we need to pay attention. We need to pay attention to the book of Leviticus, among, among many others. There's this really neat verse that says, quite encouraging in many ways. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All scripture. And by the way, you'll see a few things pop up there because I'm going to sort of hop from Bible verse to Bible verse here and there. And I know when I'm sitting there and, and the preacher is going from this verse to that verse to this book to that book, I, I give up after a while unless I can, I can see it up there. So that's why those are up there. All, all scripture. Now, of course, that applies to this, this book that we have here. Um, but I'd just like to comment that when Timothy wrote, uh, Paul wrote that to Timothy, he was referring to the Old Testament. Yeah. It applies to the New Testament as well, that, that's certainly. But uh, Paul was referring to the Old Testament, all scripture. So we should pay attention. It's all useful. And uh, as I said, the first few times I went through Leviticus, I didn't quite see that use, but it's there. There's all these laws, you know, and I, I've heard all this stuff about the law, and I've, I've heard people talk about law on one hand and grace on the other, and that was always a bit of a stumbling block for me, frankly, because it's not, that's not what the Bible talks about. Grace has been there since the beginning, yeah. Um, that's Paul's point when writing to the Galatians in chapter 3. He says, he quotes Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, that uh, God believed, uh, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And his point was that Abraham, before circumcision even was instituted, Abraham was saved by grace through faith. It's always been that way. That's, that's the way it is. That's the way God purposed salvation to be that's how it works by grace through faith and the people of israel in egypt as slaves what did they do they cried out to god god come and save us and that was an act of faith wasn't it yeah and god's response was what start burning a bush in the desert in front of moses sends moses off to egypt what was that it was an act of grace these people didn't deserve it Moses up the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, the first one of which is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. You will have no other gods before me. What are the people doing at the bottom of the mountain? Ah, all hail to the golden calf who brought us out of Egypt. Oh, please. We were all on that boat one way or the other, aren't we? Okay. They were saved by, from slavery by grace through faith as well. And it's always been like that. But you see, that's the context as well, of the book of Leviticus. They've just come out of Egypt now. They've just been saved by grace through faith, and here they are at the mountain, they get the law, and in Leviticus they get a whole bunch more as well. In the context of a people who have been saved by grace and now need to know how to live in covenant with their God. And this thing about law... You know, Jesus spoke very, very positively about the law. And I've, there's a few, oh, Peter and Paul as well, 
And I'm not going to read through all those, those verses. Uh, if you're enthusiastic, you can jot them down and go look them up later. But Jesus, Peter and Paul and other New Testament writers as well spoke very positively about the law and very affirmingly about the law. In fact, uh, Jesus goes as far as to say that you know, none of it's going to pass away, okay? before the earth passes away. And uh, in Romans chapter 6, Paul, he, he's, he's just been talking about this wonderful grace and righteousness that we have that comes from God. And, and he says, well, should we just go on sinning then so that grace can abound? And he comes out with this, this phrase, which I just love saying in Greek because it just seems to say it so much better. Meganoito! In the King James Version, it's God forbid. Yeah. In, uh, in the NIV, says, by no means. By no means just sounds a bit lame. Um, but it's like, no way. You've got to be kidding me. Not a chance. Absolutely not. And he goes on to explain that you're in covenant with your God. You can't live like that. You can't do that. And so... Even Paul, who's so strong on grace and faith and things like that in Galatians and Romans, is, uh, certainly can't be accused of telling people they don't have to pay attention to the scriptures, to the law that's written in their scriptures. And uh, I guess we can say that Leviticus... It shows how people who have been chosen, saved from slavery, destined for blessing, it shows them how they should live in covenant with their God. Sound familiar? Mm. And of course, just to stir the pot a little bit perhaps, and I'm not going to leave it here. I've got, I've got plenty of time left yet. It's the thing when you open a can of worms, you have to close it again before you finish. John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says to his disciples, If you love me, you will obey what I command. Ouch. So, what does that mean then? I mean, let's talk about Leviticus. I, I read through Leviticus and I see all these instructions for sacrifices and, you know, doing in lambs and putting this part of the lamb, giving that to the priest and uh, making sure you burn this other part of the lamb. And um, There's no blood on the carpet here, so obviously that's not something we do. Okay, So where are we at with that? And I guess to, to cut a long story short, it's, it's not our covenant. Uh, we, we live under a different one. And uh, there's a verse in, in Hebrews chapter 9, well, several verses in Hebrews chapter 9, which talk specifically about the sacrifices. And, uh, you know, for Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that's not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world, but now... He's appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself, just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people and he will appear a second time, 
not to be a sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Um, and there's lots of other verses we could, we, we could refer to, but basically those verses are saying that, that this sacrificial system that we see described in the book of Leviticus is actually not something we, we literally have to do here. We don't need to burn animals at the, the, front, of the front of the church. Yeah? Jesus has done that job. But, you know, the ironic thing is that if you actually want to understand what on earth the writer of Hebrews is talking about here, you need to have read Leviticus chapter 16. Yeah. Leviticus chapter 16 talks all about the Day of Atonement when the high priest, once a year, he goes into the Holy of Holies in the most centre place of the temple where nobody goes ever except the high priest on one day of the year. And he goes in there and with some blood and he sprinkles it on the, on the, uh, the thing bearing the Ark of the Covenant, the, tab- the uh, Ark there, and atones for the sin of, sins of the nation. And he does it, as it says, with blood that's not his own, and he does it again and again and again. Every year Jesus has just done the job once and for all. We don't have to do that anymore. But <clears throat> you see, if you haven't read Leviticus, you'd you don't have a very good idea of what that's talking about. What we are going to do this morning is we're going to have a look through some of the themes that appear in the book of Leviticus because there's, some, there's four different things that as you read through the book of Leviticus, they keep coming back and they keep slapping you in the face. And Every page you turn, they're there somewhere and you're going to see them again and again and again. And I'm going to ask the question that was up there on the first slide, so what? Hmm. So what? What's that got to do with me? You see, that was always my question (laughs) when I read Leviticus those years ago. What's this got to do with me? Why am I doing this? I'm doing this because I committed to do it, was the answer. My answer is different these days. The first theme that appears so much in the book of Leviticus is the presence of God. You know, we talk about the presence of God, don't we, in worship, and we talk about uh, um, inviting God, we talk about bringing ourselves into the presence of God, and everywhere you turn in the book of Leviticus, the presence of God is so important. In fact, you could almost say, as I have up there, if God's not there, it's all irrelevant. It's all based on um, God being there, and there's a whole lot of verses I I could spend all morning pulling verses out of Leviticus. I'm not going to. I'll let you read it for yourself. And the thing that comes through in Leviticus is that God is present with his people in all of their lives. And there are so many commands that are given in the book of Leviticus. And the reason for the command is because I am Jehovah, your God, and I, or, and I dwell among you, or... You know, your God is with you. And this is the reason given for the command. And these are commands about all parts of life. It's, there are commands about worship, okay, and what the priest's got to do and, and what the worshippers are supposed to do. But a lot of other commands in Leviticus, Leviticus too about what people do in their lives generally. In fact, there's one chapter there that tells them what to do in their bedroom or not what to do in, what not to do in their bedroom. And there's so many of these commands that are there, and the foundation for them is God is among his people. And that go off from Exodus 
all the way through to Ezekiel in the Old Testament. God is present with his people in the, the Ark of the Covenant, in the tabernacle, later in the temple. And uh, in fact, scholars believe that in the time just before the Babylonian exile, there was this really popular theory among the Israelites that because God lived in the temple in Jerusalem, no army could actually take Jerusalem. And they certainly behaved a bit that way. It didn't matter what you did. God was here and God's all-powerful and God's never going to let his home be destroyed. Well, Ezekiel had this vision. He saw the glory of the Lord departing from the temple. (laughs) Sorry, fellas, I've got news for you. Yeah, in fact, the, the glory of the Lord in that vision went eastwards towards Babylon where the exiles were. And uh, Jerusalem was destroyed. But all through, if you read through the history of Israel, it's all the, the presence of God is there, and particularly in Leviticus. It's just so important. Everything they do centers around the presence of God. And the presence of God itself is just reason for everything, for following God's commands, for being holy, for all that stuff. And that's nice. It's a good bit of, I don't know, historical analysis for you. It's more than nice. You see, we have such, we, we've got a, a much greater blessing, don't we? Oh, you're not sure. Well, let me try and convince you. In John chapter 1. It opens within the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God and he was with God in the beginning. And you get down to verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father full of grace and truth. And I can just imagine what's going through the apostle John's mind as he wrote those words. Because you see, from the exile, God, Ezekiel had this vision. The glory of the Lord left the temple. Temple got destroyed. Temple got rebuilt after they came back from exile. There's no record like there was when Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem. The, the glory of the Lord appeared and the priests couldn't even continue their duties. Like, wow, this, this is just incredible. The glory of the Lord's descended on this place. When they rebuilt it after the exile, there's no record of anything like that. Herod built them another temple in, in uh, 40, 50 years before Jesus came along. There's no record of anything like that happening in the temple then. It wasn't until a little bit later that something changed. First of all, we had Jesus come. God Almighty <laughs> just organized it so much. Oh, yeah, that was a few weeks ago. I got excited about that when I did the communion talk, didn't I? It is exciting. God with us. Yeah. It is just so exciting, but it's better than that. It's, it's, it's better than that. Turn over a few more pages. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. You know what we've got here? We've got God Almighty among his people. 
Are you guys awake? That's amazing. That is just incredible. The creator of the universe not only produced this incredible miracle to come as Jesus and walk the earth and teach and, and die and rise, rise from the dead, but now he's come and he rests on his people. He's, he's closer than my shoulder. He's closer than my nose. The presence of God is here and he lives and works in what I do. The presence of God is a very real reason. For Christian living. Yeah. And I'm not talking about fear. I'm not, I'm not talking about, oh no, God's looking over my shoulder, I better do this right. It's not, that's not what it's about. It's about God's presence in us changing us, making us something new, and, 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 and making us want to behave in a certain way. You see, that's what Jeremiah said in chapter 31 when he talked about the new covenant. We'll get to that. I'll write it on their hearts. You see, that was the problem with the old covenant. It was made with people and and God said, I promise I'm going to do this. The people said, we promise we're going to do that. But of course, people are people and they're like you and me and they have bad days and sometimes they just keep having bad day after bad day and they go down the wrong road. They're gone happens well it happened to a lot of israelites and the problem was that it wasn't in their heart wasn't written on their heart and this is what the new covenant's about god is with us god in us god motivating us god filling us god working through us yeah so i should jump up and down or something it's mind-blowing stuff this is mind-blowing stuff god just god is not just in this room yeah god god's in each of us god works through each of us he he speaks through us he acts through us god is with us in a way that he has never been with his people before in history in a way that he was not with the people of Israel at that time when Leviticus was written, for example. We have a much greater blessing. All right, well, there's some more themes I've got to get through before I run out of time. Another theme that's in Leviticus is, is holiness. We see this thing about this, this covenant that God made with his people. God is all-powerful. We know that. God is holy. God is like the definition of holiness. Right? The standard of good and the standard of holy, you sort of you look at God and say, that's good and that's holy, and you know, everything else is just degrees getting up there, you know. He is holy, he is the definition of holy, and he's all powerful. And we're neither of those things. Well, we're getting there. It's another story. The prophet Isaiah probably expresses this best for me. In Isaiah chapter 6, there's this account. Isaiah has a vision. It's actually his calling from God for him to be a prophet. And he has this vision. And in this vision, he sees God in the temple. 
almighty, triumphant, the train of his robe filling the temple, which was a symbol of all his victories and his, his authority and his power. And Isaiah is probably in the temple worshipping or something, I don't know, and he had this vision, saw God there. And his first reaction was what? Does anyone know what his first reaction was? It's like, I'm a dead man. That was his first reaction. I'm a dead man. Oh, I'm, I'm history. There's God, and here's me. And see, see, he knew that when you put a sinful something in the presence of an all-powerful and all-holy thing, the sinful thing doesn't fare too well. Okay. That, was his, that was his first reaction. What happens next is a mar- marvellous image of the gospel. At God's initiative, one of the angels who's standing there with all his six wings and whatever he had, walks over to the altar and grabs one of the coals, comes over to Isaiah, touches him on the lips, you've been cleansed. Isn't that what God does? Yeah? See, Isaiah had realised that (laughs) I'm not up to this. I'm not up to to being in the presence of God. I'm squashed. I'm history. And at God's initiative, he fixes that. Yeah, you can come into my presence. Here you are. I'll fix that problem. Well, For the people of Israel, in their context in the desert, having just made this covenant with God, that's what the book of Leviticus is. This answers the question, how does a sinful people approach a holy God and actually have a relationship with him? Yeah, That's what the book of Leviticus is is saying to the people. Well, to approach me, you've got to do these things. This is the procedure, if you like. Yeah, It's kind of... If you want, try and remember that. You want to put the book of Leviticus into one sentence? That's, that's it. Try, that's. But all through, and I've, I've listed a few verses there, all through the book of uh, Leviticus, be holy because I am holy. That sentence is mentioned several times in the book of Leviticus. And, and, and as you read every page, holiness comes into there somehow, some way, either talking about the priests or talking about the, the people consecrating themselves or talking about how holy and marvellous God is. or It comes in there all the time. And there's this call for the people of God to be holy. Wish I could just press a button, you know. You see, we as Christians are also called to be holy. And I've put up a couple of verses there, one from Colossians and one from, from 1 Peter. Um, and uh, both Paul and Peter express the fact that this, this holiness is expressed in, in right living. Yeah, there's, there's something about what we do which is, which is really important. And uh, Romans chapter 6, I'll just quickly read um, those verses for you too. From verse 17. Um, but thanks be to God that, th- that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. And go on. I just love the way Paul, that's, that's another message sometimes, but Paul uses this imagery of changing masters. Yeah, It's freedom. It's freedom from sin. It's freedom from slavery. But what I've actually done is just change masters. I'm free now under the new master. But the question is what I'm free to do. Anyway, like I said, another message. Yeah. 
yeah, I think I need to move on, otherwise I'm going to be here too long. A third theme that comes through in the, uh, the book of Leviticus is the role of sacrifice. I've said it right already, the grain offering and the sin offering and the sacrifice at this festival and the sacrifice at that festival. On and on and on it goes and there's quite a few gory details in there. The first few times I read through this book I'm going, oh, do I really need to know this stuff? <laughs> Frankly, um, a bit of blood involved. Um, but as Hebrews chapter 9 tells us, blood was seen as a, as a purifier. It was, the, it was the symbol, if you like, that God gave to his people so that they could use it to symbolize the purity. But it was God who granted the forgiveness and cleansing. And a number of verses, uh, I could list some for you. Um, for example, in chapter 4, verse 20 and 26, there's a couple of comments there about a, a sin offering or a sacrifice being offered and you've know, got to do this with the blood or that with the blood. But then it says God will grant them forgiveness. And even in Leviticus, while there's this emphasis on sacrifice, it's not the sacrifice itself that makes you pure. It's not the sticky red stuff that actually cleans you or anything. Okay? It's God that grants that forgiveness. It's God that grants that cleansing. And what the people of God have forgotten numerous times over the ages, both ancient and modern, is that the rituals we go through in and of themselves don't actually do the job. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've put Amos chapter 5, verses 21 to 24. I'm going to read Amos chapter 5, verses 21 to 24. It really, it just tells you the story. Um, this is the prophet talking to his own people of Israel. He says, I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I'll have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I'll not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. And he goes on in the same, same vein for a while. What the prophet was saying to the people was, you are a people who have forgotten that it is God who grants forgiveness and cleansing. And you have got caught up in doing the rituals, bringing the sacrifices, going out the door with nothing changed, doing exactly what you were doing yesterday. And you think that I'm going to pay attention to that blood you just spilled on the altar? Reality check, it doesn't work that way. That's what the prophet was saying to them. Yeah. Never has worked that way. In ancient times, many Israelites would come with their, their, their offering, their sin offering, and offer it and walk away thinking, beauty, that covered that. And then tomorrow when it happens again, I'll just do it again. You know, there are many Christians who, who think that way too. doesn't work that way now either. There's just one other comment I want to make um, about that. We as Christians, this role of, of sacrifice is just critical in understanding the gospel. Yeah. 
And uh, maybe if you want to, you know, you jot down some of those, those verses there, John the Baptist, Jesus, Paul, Peter, John the Apostle, they all talked about serving. They all talked about sacrifice. I mean, the one Mark 10.45, I've got up there, Jesus himself. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And uh, Paul says to the, um, says to the Corinthians, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And it's a bit sobering. You know, I've read that verse so many times, but each time I get to it, I go, okay, yep, all right, I'll do that. But this theme of sacrifice, even for us as Christians, even though we don't live under the same covenant, even though we don't spill blood up here, there's no blood on the carpet anywhere, there's no... No animals burning anywhere. This whole thing of sacrifice is central to the gospel. Jesus sacrifice without Jesus' sacrifice, there would be there would be no new covenant. And without us imitating Christ, our Christian life is not what it could be. The last theme that goes through the book of Leviticus, at least the last one I want to mention this morning, is that of covenant. Not surprising, is it? People are in the desert. They've just been released from Israel. They've just been to Mount Sinai. They've just got the law. Miracles happened. Um, and off they are in the desert and all these other laws are, are added to the original ten, I suppose, if that was what was written on the, the stone tablets originally. Um, and uh, this is how... As I've said before, how a sinful people can approach a holy God. Haley, can we just have the next one up? Yep, thanks. Awesome. As I said before, this covenant, this book of Leviticus was written in the context of grace, wasn't it? Yeah. It's the motive for law-keeping. And in Jeremiah chapter 31, it's probably, a, probably verses you know very well when uh, the prophet says there will become a new covenant that are going to write on the hearts of, the hearts of my people. And uh, this is the covenant we live under. And uh, that, I read John 14, 15 earlier just to um, stir the pot a little, but I promised I'd, I'd close the can of worms. Let me just read from John chapter 10. This is 27 and 28. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them from my hand. That's a pretty awesome shepherd, isn't it? That's an amazing shepherd. No one can snatch them from my hand. Because you see in this context... Um, there were quite a few um, animals around that liked to eat sheep. Uh, and shepherds sometimes faced a bit of a dangerous job if they were going to really protect the sheep. There were, um, there were lions in Israel in those days, apparently. I don't think there are any more, but there, there were. Um, we can tell from some of the, particularly the Old Testament stories. There were other animals, uh, wolves or some other dog variety that no doubt would enjoy a sheep every now and again. A bit dangerous for the shepherd if he's going to protect his sheep. 
And often what happened, it's fairly common, he didn't protect the sheep. His, his idea was, well, pff, this lion can have a sheep and I'll keep my life and I'll look after the rest. Yeah. And maybe it was wise. But Jesus said, no one can take any of my sheep from my hand. No one. That's the shepherd we have. This is the covenant that we live, we live under. Presence, holiness, sacrifice, covenant. So what? <laughs> well, we are the people of God, aren't we? Anyone feel like they're part of the people of God? Oh, good, right. That's good. We sang about it this morning, didn't we? Being a child of God. And yeah. We have privileges and responsibilities of covenant with God. But we have, among those privileges, is the presence of God like no one has ever had in history before. Don't, don't minimise that. Don't get blasé about that. Don't get habitual. I'm just trying to think of the right word about that. Don't just come to church and go through the motions. The presence of God in every aspect of our life, not just in this building, but every other day of the week, the presence of God living and working in you is a reason for everything. It's a reason for everything you do. It's a reason for everything you think. It's a reason for everything you say. And I'd encourage you to chew on that a little. Maybe you, you won't go away and read the book of Leviticus from front to back. I, don't, I'm, I won't be offended if you don't. That's okay. But if you do, keep an eye on God's presence. Keep an eye on the effect of God's presence. In fact, if you read through Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and the whole, whole lot of the people's journey through the desert to the promised land, keep your eye on the theme of God's presence. Yeah? God's, God present with his people. And know that as amazing as that was, you know, there, there are examples, in fact, there's some in Leviticus, where Moses and Aaron, they go into the tent of the meeting and they offer a sacrifice and kapow, fire comes out from the altar and burns up the, burns up the sacrifice and Moses and Aaron are on their faces and the people are going, wow. They had nothing. They had nothing compared to what we have. Nothing. Just chew on that for a week or two. Yeah. The presence of God, his holiness, the covenant that he makes with us, the sacrifice he's made for us, the sacrifices that we're called to make, the holiness that we're called to imitate. I am a child of God. God's presence is all around me. God's presence is in me. And... <laughs> I aim to demonstrate his grace and his power to my world. Because you see, that's, that's why God chose Israel originally too. You see, they were supposed to be a light to the nations. And in some ways they were, in some ways they blew it. But we as the people of God are also called to do the same thing. And we can do it living with God's presence. We can do it living in covenant with him. 
We can do it pursuing holiness. We can pursue it. We can do it being aware of his sacrifice and the one that we're called to make as well. So I think what I've done is giving you something to chew on. Okay. Hopefully I didn't lose you along the way there somewhere because if you've arrived at this point and you're still somewhat with me, I would encourage you to chew. Okay. Go away and think about what it means to be in God's presence all of the time. Think about it, what it means to live in covenant with him. Think about it, what it means to be pursuing holiness and sacrifice every day of the week. Praise God.